0: Welcome to Flowcast. I'm Sister Joanne Delahanty, a Dominican sister of Springfield and your guest host for today's episode. I'm with Adrian Alexander, both of us in Chicago, opposite sides of the city, where we live and work. I met Adrian about seven years ago at a mass, and so it is appropriate that we're here today speaking of liturgy. Adrian, please introduce yourself.
1: Good morning. Um, my name is Adrian Alexander. I Uh, go to St. Benedict the African in Inglewood, which is where I met Sister Joanne and just a regular lay Catholic, uh, excited to have
0: a conversation with one of my favorite sisters. Thank you. In uh, June of this year, 2022, Francis wrote an apostolic letter on the liturgical formation of the people of God. And I think it's exquisite spiritually and ecclesially and theologically. We're invited to a serious and dynamic liturgical formation. And catechetically, I think that can be very, very exciting. It's like, in my view, like Laudato Si, because we're called to a personal transformation that's going to impact our worship. And I just see such possibilities for this if we can all get on this train and ride it. I just want to talk during this time about a couple of the points that I think are salient points. And the first is that Francis is very clear that we need, first of all, to understand liturgy as a gift. It's not grounded in what we do, but rather in a discovery out of our faith of what Christ has done for us and is doing for us. So the whole thing starts from God and our liturgy is our response to that and a never-ending spring of upholding of us in our efforts to become the body of Christ. So the first thing I wanna ask you, Adrian, is what keeps you connected sacramentally to the church? Certainly there's no more, no longer any social imperative about attending worship in any faith-based tradition and for us to attend mass. So what keeps you connected sacramentally what are your choices where are your choices coming from for that so I think it's a few things I'm cradle
1: Catholic so and there was never a point in my childhood when we didn't go to church so it's something that I was brought up with it's connected a gift from my parents and something that was so a part of our life my dad worked for her. A archdiocese, two different archdioceses when I was growing up, so it wasn't just the parish that we were connected to, but the church. And because of his work as a photographer and getting exposed to various uh, various parishes, meeting different religious men and women, I did feel very connected to the larger, the universal church, and so that has kept me, even when there may be frustration about a small piece or a small corner of the church, I always knew that I was part of something much bigger. It's something that connects my husband and I, even though we come from two different places, two different cultures, we had church in common. And when we first started dating, it was something that bound us. Um, So I think there's that. And then also, because of how present church has been in my life, it's just a source of hope, a source of relief. And so in the busyness of work and the craziness of the world, it's just a source of refuge every week to be able to experience something that connects me to folks all across the world. So the very macro and the very micro getting out of my own way in what I have going on the rest of the week. So yeah, that's what keeps me coming back.
0: Which is exactly, I think, what is the trajectory of this apostolic letter. I think you gave perfect language to that. And something that I think is really important is you mentioned the gift of being formed in that. I certainly came to appreciate that as an adult too, that my parents not just gave me life, but gave me faith. And I get more grateful for that as I get older. Uh, But it also speaks to being deliberate about it, uh, being formed in it, which is a piece that isn't always part of people's lives now, especially in the secularism, I think that just keeps growing and growing and growing in all of life. And I don't think you can minimize the importance of that. You know, you're held to something, you become habituated to it, and you begin to be formed in a way that isn't always conscious because it's just part of who you are, in your case, as the Alexander family first, and, and now as a wife and parent yourself. I think that's really crucially important. Can
1: I say, like, I don't think I ever heard the word formation until I was an adult, really, right? It wasn't, I mean, you have to be intentional as a parent. Uh, you have to think about the way your children receive The things you give, the interpretations they take from different things. So everything feels like it has to be intentional (laughs) as a parent. But sometimes when you get in the habit of things, it just becomes the way you do things and you're less attentive to each and every part of it. But I think I'm much more aware as a parent than I was as the child on the receiving end (laughs) of it. And it's particularly interesting now, as you know, Carita just received her first communion and in the act of her doing classes after mass and her little sister wanting to like see what she's doing and then her going up and now receiving communion before it was something that they both kind of just tagged along with us as we went in line. uh, And it was completely fine. But now Esperanza is like, wait a second, my sister's receiving. So every single week, she gets more insistent. And, you know, first, it was just she stood there after the three of us received and she waited, like, it's my turn. Now she's to the point where she's reaching out her hand, and we have to kind of track her away, but, you know, it's not something I had thought of, like, what does it mean now that Caridad is receiving, Esperanza is going to want to receive, but now we have to think about, okay, well, it'll be your turn soon, we have to go, we're going to go up here and do this, You're going to come with us. You can get a blessing, you know, and really kind of preparing her for like each moment because now she knows, oh, we're going to do something, whereas she just was like, oh, we're moving in this direction (laughs) previously, right? I
0: I think you mentioned a a couple things there that I think are worth noting. And the first thing is, I don't think we have to be attentive to everything in the flow of even faith life, right? Because we're, as we're being formed in it, I think we're kind of carried along in the river of it. And even just the consciousness of that as a fact is is enough, I think, you know, because as we stay in the river of it, <laughs> we continue moving forward and getting deeper into what it means. And then this, well, certainly <laughs> Esperanza is very Strong-willed, right? Very opinionated. And so, but it makes it, she's also very intelligent. And it it makes me think about another thing actually that comes from the letter that we ha- we have, I'm going to maybe use, the, I'm going to use the word quantify and that probably isn't the best word to use. What we've done to the sacrament sometimes in our history is made them a measure of something that has disconnected them, in my opinion, from their reality. So, and in some faith traditions, as soon as a child is baptized, a child is given a small piece of the host dipped in the consecrated wine or something. The idea being the idea of the sacrament being that th- this is a visceral way to celebrate our belonging. and so so to its it sometimes I, I have sometimes thought that it's a little bit artificial to to measure it according to a certain chronology or an amount of what amounts to theological understanding that you need before you move ahead. But it's a dance, isn't it? Because certainly I think we used to speak of this all the time. There were people that would come into the church and just follow everybody up in communion and, and uh, to the, in the communion line and receive communion. and And some people were quite aghast at that. And but it seemed natural to them and they felt very welcome. So if this is the time to walk up, they're just going to walk up. And then some people, some people would rationalize it by saying, but if they didn't know what they were receiving, then was it really a sacrament? Then we get, you know, this fine, um, delineating something that is really a gesture of welcome, you know, now, granted, I, I'm not, one that just wants to abolish all theology. I think we need to have understanding of what we're moving ahead in. But your point about Esperanza, and certainly she's not the only one. Lots of the little kids that hang on to their parents' hands, you know, just want the same things because they want to be part of it. It just brings up that whole issue. And one of the things that I think can be taken from this apostolic letter is using this as an opportunity to revisit how we celebrate, you know, sacramentally. So I, I think that's really important to note. Can I just ask, too, do you ever talk with friends who are Catholic or were Catholic and maybe don't stay sacramentally connected to the church? What comes out of those conversations, if you have any? What are their reasons? Or
1: I think... Community is a is a word we I think both thrown out in different ways, but I think community is part of it. There is a lot more secularization, obviously, so I think it's easier to find community in other things. And I think particularly since I've lived in Chicago, there's a perception that maybe there's there's conflict between where people feel their politics are, I'll particularly name on LGBTQ issues, um, and where the church is, and that there's a lot of struggle there for a number of people, I know. And so they don't feel like they're welcomed in church, or they don't feel like they can comport their politics with how it manifests in some parts of the church. So I think that that's like the biggest one concrete thing that I hear for from people. I th- but I think also that a lot of people may I know a lot of people that have tried to like go on one off or you know ch- Christmas Easter they feel like okay we're going to try and take our kids on these special days and then it's difficult for the kids because they don't go regularly (laughs) and then they feel like oh it's such a it's such such effort to get the kids there and and then they're trying to explain stuff but they don't really have the language and it just feels like why am i making that effort i also know a number of people that grew up catholic may have their own struggles with the church, but then married people that weren't religious. And then it just, if it's not a joint effort, I think it's a lot harder to say, I'm gonna take myself apart from the family and do this thing every Sunday, or I'm gonna take myself and the kids and try and juggle the kids by myself every Sunday. I think it's a lot harder if you don't have the support if it's not something that you're doing as a family. Although, you know, plenty of people do it. Um, I do think in a world where you're like, oh, I'm I'm working a lot. Both parents are working and the weekend is your only time together. It feels like a, a reach if you're already struggling with other parts of the faith. So... I I think those are the two things that I hear the most.
0: And that, you know, I guess it would be difficult to, to speak about this generally, but it's certainly antithetical to what you're trying to create as family to have such a foundational disconnect if you don't share faith. And, you know, it used to be almost, I'm talking about like in my parents' generation, used to be just expected and even addressed, you know, that you'd want to marry somebody who shares the same faith with you because that's only going to be a strength as you go through things, you know. So, but that is another area where we just have a different tangent, I guess. But the first thing you mentioned is not ancillary, I think. The the people that feel unwelcome around the table, that is something we've got to look at because that is that is foundational to who we are. It also then smacks of this whole idea of that Francis wants us to understand that liturgy is a gift. It, it It is not something that we do. And deciding who is welcome and who is not welcome or acting as though certain people are more welcome and others are less welcome, that's absolutely against what liturgy really is as a response to the gift of life that God is for us, and and so this isn't something that is, you know, just a matter of opinion that we have to agree to disagree on. No, this is foundational. As church, we have to look at this, and again, another point that I think Francis is making with this is, if we can be transformed personally, our liturgy is going to be so much more both powerful, but true to who we are supposed to be as the body of Christ. The first group you mentioned, and certainly not, they're not the only group, but this is, this isn't just, you know, we can't be patronizing about this. We have to be courageous enough to face it, recognize it, admit it, and be transformed in ourselves so that this response that liturgy is, can be more reflective of the truth of the mystical body, so that's that's hugely important. But I think that the people find
1: heart in hearing that from people in positions of power in the church, but they don't often enough, and I think that's one reason why Pope Francis has been so, you know, well liked even by non-Catholics um, because it's just something that enough people don't hear. I, and as you said, it's fundamental to what we we believe about the human dignity of every person, but that's just not spelled out a lot of times. So there's a lot of pain. I And I guess I should say to the other pain that exists, and I think that it's particularly pronounced, I feel like, in having conversations about any number of things is just the response of the abuse crisis and the failures of leaders in the church around that issue. You know, how can you put so at the forefront, the dignity of the human person, and yet, in so many instances, leaders in the church put protection of the institution ahead of that. And um, so I think that plays out also into this idea about what the priorities are for the leaders of the church and how that may get in the way of people's experience with the beauty of the liturgy or their connection to their parish can be disrupted when over and over again, the leaders are failing in such a big way on the issue of abuse. And for someone like me, born in the 80s and like really coming into consciousness about the institution of the church when spotlight and all of that was coming to light and then just continuously having more and more and more revealed that it's, you know, I don't shop at Walmart or I don't use Amazon because it doesn't comport with my beliefs about how Labor should be respected, and yet I'm still a part of an institution that has some tremendous failures in some really important ways. And so I think for a lot of people, they don't wrestle with that and what that means. They would just leave and not be a part of it.
0: Sometimes I think Constantine did us no favors when he brought us out of the catacombs, you know, because this institutionalization, which happens, I think... To probably any movement over the course of time, you know, what did they say in France that the left becomes right, you know, just kind of over time automatically. But this protecting of ourselves and the fact that we never are over the hump of what we're finding out, we think, okay, finally, maybe we can just look at this, do something about it, and move ahead. And we find out more. It's, it's, uh, we're almost schizophrenic, you know, in people who try to live out of their faith deliberately and well even just what you said so you're socially conscious obviously as a uh, as a woman who's a lobbyist and labor representative and you're conscious of that and then you know people can face you with how the church has been and that's that's we've we've lost a sense of the immediacy of faith i think by well, we've almost built regulations and conditions. That's how I feel. That you know, if if you you qualify, if if you meet these expectations and live according to this, and and we we have taken a a veer away from the heart of who we are. This this is what makes me hopeful about this apostolic letter, because if we move forward with it and are serious about this transformation, personal transformation, in this liturgical formation, liturgy could be an amazing celebration of what we should be, what we're constantly invited to, what we're called to. I want to pick up a little bit on the what you said about people who, who maybe try to connect to religion. Now I'm talking about liturgy, just at certain times. Like, well, certainly in my experience, people would want their children to make their first communion and would come then and then you'd never see them again you know or to get married or to be buried or um you know christmas mother's day is a big one you know easter things like that used to be thanksgiving but you can't do it hit and miss i think and one thing francis speaks of is being formed for the liturgy and being formed by the liturgy and in order to for that to happen you have to stay connected to it right I think, like, here's my, here's my benchmark example. You brought Kari to Mass immediately after she was born. And very quickly, and I realize part of this is a function of her personality, but very quickly she became used to being there in the sense of home. You know, so not that she was just, oh, I know what happens here. But it, it was, she was comfortable in church. And when you and Alex would hold her in your arms facing the altar, She was attentive, in in my estimation, beyond her age. She was attentive and watchful to what was going on. And, And here, I'm leading up to something here. So there was a point when Kari started preschool and everybody who was starting school from preschool, even up to, you know, graduate school, were asked to come forward for a blessing. So Kari proudly went out and and after the priest gave the blessing, he en- or gave the prayer, he ended with a traditional blessing. And out of that whole group in the, in the middle of the church, it was Kari who hear, heard those words and signed herself with the sign of the cross. See, it was almost, it wasn't almost, she was formed in that, you know? And, and I was so profoundly struck by that because for me, it marked how enculturated to liturgy she was. And another another time was there was a group at a restaurant and the food came and it was Kari who reminded us that we needed to say Grace first. So I just think that some things that you don't get if you don't stay close, you know, in kind of a progressive and sequential way that get missed then. I, I'd like you to talk about, because you mentioned you have two different backgrounds, you and Alex. And you're very deliberate, I think, about incorporating that into the faith life of your family. i I'd like you to, if you would, to talk about how Kari has absorbed the tradition of like the Our Lady of Guadalupe Novena um, every December. and Because I think that's very significant. You've made that part of the rhythm of your faith life as a family. We do. We go to
1: the Novena Our Lady of Guadalupe every single year. It's something we do with Alex's family. I think at first she was looking forward to pan and chocolate after the the rosary that was said um, every every day. But it it is just so built into. She knows it's. I think maybe some people would shirk from the way we do this, but obviously we go to a black Catholic church on the South side of the city for regular Sunday mass for, and we travel like at least 30 minutes for that. And then we go to a kind of multicultural parish closer to where we live for Holy days of obligation. And then we go to the Mexican parish that's, probably are in, I forget what you even call it, because we don't we, we don't adhere to whatever the parish is in our district, the Mexican parish, we go to that for the Our Lady of Guadalupe Novena. And I love that she gets exposure to all these aspects of the church. The community that we have at our Black Catholic parish, I think is really nurturing and she does feel at home. You didn't mention, but I'm not embarrassed to say she took off her shoes because we take off our shoes at home. She took off her shoes at church all the time when she was younger. And she felt she really does feel at home in that parish and people are invested in her growth and success as a Catholic there. So we have less ties to the other parishes, even though we go, you know, I guess regularly for for purposes of you know on an annual basis for the Our Lady of Guadalupe novena and and for holy days of obligations, but I I hope that she knows like you know we have an ofrenda at our house and you know she knows that her abuelita has an ofrenda as well. She knows about Día de los Muertos and what it means um, and and how important it is to pray for our family that's in heaven and so I feel like each aspect of church that we participate in it connects to both cultures gives her a deepening of her faith and a way that I hope she appreciates more as she gets older that for now is just the way we do things and completely normal. And she probably doesn't think about how different other people's experiences with church are. But I'm I'm glad that she knows to expect that. And in fact, recently asked because she knows not too long after Dia de los Muertos, and because we talked about the end of the liturgical year with Christ the King and that she knows that Advent is coming and, and Our Lady of Guadalupe is in that season, she was recently asking, you know, are they going to have pan and chocolate again because they didn't <laughs>
0: during COVID? See, that I think she'll automatically be more expansive about her intuitive understanding of the response that liturgy is. Because you know, we we can't speak of liturgy without admitting the polarization that liturgy has caused in recent years. And certainly the very public value Francis is placing on the unity of the Roman rite, Because speaking, he would speak, he does speak, Francis does speak about Catholicism not being a backwards looking faith and um, not a museum piece or an artifact, but um, an encounter, you know, that is not just your little corner of the world. I think Kari has already been exposed to that because of everything that you've just said. She's going to be able to take off her shoes in lots of places, because she will recognize that (laughs) the intersection of the divine and human uh, happens there. And, And that is, very, 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 very important. Nostalgia is not going to cut it. And and Francis even said specifically, backwardism is corrupting of any creed. And you already have such an open-handedness with how you live as a family, how you're choosing to live as a family, which is only a gift, I think, only and always a gift. I think that's also why I can't
1: Get up in arms about (laughs) the liturgical words that I read about, because I know, like, there's beauty in so many different expressions of Catholicism, and I don't feel the need to hold on strongly to this one way is the way, because I know even for our family, there's at least three ways (laughs) that we that we celebrate Mass and um, very different settings, but all very beautiful in the same Catholic faith. So that is that connectedness of being a world church, a universal church is like very key
0: to what keeps me Catholic. Yeah, Francis speaks of rekindling the awe. But I think what has happened over years is we've reduced the awe to a style of liturgy or a certain kind of music or something. And that is not it. The awe comes from our belonging to the Paschal mystery, which is what creates us as a community. But I think what I see happening is personal style of liturgy is creating community. And that, so that's, that's one reason I'm glad about this letter. If we do something with it, because we have to know what, makes us who we are as a community. And it's not that I pre- prefer Gregorian chant to gospel music. It is that that we are made the body of Christ by our participation in the Paschal mystery. And that's what we need this dynamic formation in. You're right about un- realizing and recognizing that a matter of taste is incidental, but you're the mi- mi- minority there you know we have to we have to be we have to go back to what is the heart of rekindling the awe and that's way past a, a matter of taste we can never go back to the days when eucharist becomes a private devotional experience we just can't we have to move forward constantly because that's the trajectory of the kingdom of Christ in the kingdom amen what i wanted to end with is the last paragraph of the letter which might be an appropriate thing to do. Let us abandon our polemics to listen together to what the spirit is saying to the church. Let us safeguard our communion. Let us continue to be astonished at the beauty of the liturgy. The paschal mystery has been given to us. Let us allow ourselves to be embraced by the desire that the Lord continues to have to eat his Passover with us, and all this under the gaze of Mary, Mother of the Church.
1: Amen. Thanks so much, Adrian. Thank you, Sister Joanne and everyone for inviting me, and it's always great to talk to you.
0: Thanks to everybody uh, for joining this Flowcast, which is a production of my Springfield Dominican community. You can subscribe to the Flowcast at flowcastlisten.org, and you can receive every episode because of that. I wanna thank you, Brandon, the sound engineer. I wanna thank you, Sister Beth. I wanna thank Jean Ann Miller, who's the marketer, and especially you, Adrian. It was a, an easy, comfortable conversation, and I'm grateful for that. And I'm so happy to be um, so publicly connected to you on a matter of faith, so thank you.